Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Criminally Disturbed. I'm Paul. And I'm Jamie. And we have another gruesome tale for you Yeah. tonight. Yeah. First, before we get into that, we definitely want to remind everybody that we have a, an email address, cdisturbedpodcast at gmail.com. And our Instagram is criminally disturbed podcast. And our Facebook page is Criminally Disturbed. Hit us up and give us a like on Facebook or mm-hmm. Instagram mm-hmm. or wherever your um, wherever your social media is. And on whatever platform it is that you're listening to us on, give us a like and a rating. Mm-hmm. We'd like to know how we're doing, how you think that we're doing. Because without your input, we think that we are awesome. We do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but if you don't think that we're awesome, don't put that on like whatever platform you listen on. Email us that info. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and while you're in the emailing uh, mood, why don't you send us some of your stories that uh, maybe we can put together a a listener tale. Um, yeah, a group of. Uh, listeners um, experiences Mm -hmm. you know if you had a run-in with someone who turned out to be a murderer murderer or a kidnapper or something spooky yeah a ghost yep you're a beast right Uh, we'd like to hear from you Uh, folklore tales Mm -hmm. if you have any of those we would be very interested Um, and if there's any content that you would like us to cover Right. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely like to hear from everybody. Mm-hmm. So reach out to us. Give us any uh, stories that you may have and um, and uh, see. see uh, we'd like to interact with you. That's right. So are you ready to jump right into this? I am. Then let's do it. it this is going to be a two-parter, and I think I'm going to stop saying that I'm going to have a two-parter because... It's always just, you know, it's a given. Yeah. Um, There's not a lot of stories out there that you can do in one part. I know, because there's so much info. I know. When we get into doing the research for our stories and things, we uncover so much. I mean, mm-hmm. look at, I could have done a fourth part on Henry Lee, Henry Lee Lucas. Lucas. Uh Yeah, I could have done a fourth part on him. Right. I mean, there is just so much. And then that fourth part could have ran into a first part for Otis Tool. Mm -hmm. You see, it's just so much that interacts with all these stories and things. And when you start going down that rabbit hole, you know, there's no ending in sight Mm -hmm. in some of them. Don't be ashamed to have two parts. That's just giving everybody more information that they want. That's right. Yeah. I don't want to half-ass it. That's right. We don't have ass here. No. So why don't we just go ahead and jump right into this, and um, why don't you tell us a little story? I am, and I want to start off with, I mean, obviously all murder is senseless. Absolutely. But, y'all, this story got to me. I mean, we've done, obviously, horrible stories before this one but this one just broke my heart are you are you gonna really just break mine and our listeners hearts 
I don't know. Um, and it probably might just be just me being like, oh, you know, I don't know. Well, let's get into it. Okay. Let's see. I got my information this week from the book Because You Love Me by M. William Phelps. All right. Okay. We're going to start on August 6th of 2003. Around 7 p.m., Chris McGowan was getting ready to spend the evening at his fiance's house, Jean mm-hmm. Domenico. Mm-hmm. They were engaged, but they still had two separate houses. And he would stay with Jean like a couple of nights out of the week. And then, like, go home every so often to, like, check the mail, make sure the house was still standing. Nobody had broke in, I guess. So, at Jean's house, she had two teenage children. She had her son, Drew, who was 14, and her daughter, Nicole, who was 15. All right. So, the plans for that evening that was that when Jean got off work, she was going to go by and pick up a pizza. Chris was going to come over and... Jean, the kids, Chris, and her daughter, Nicole's boyfriend, Billy, were going to eat pizza and play games. You said her daughter's boyfriend? Uh Uh-huh. Her daughter, Nicole, who's 15. Okay. So, as Chris is leaving his house, he decides to call Jean real quick to make sure she doesn't want him to pick up anything as he's on his way over. She didn't answer. And right after he calls her, he noticed that he had a voicemail on his phone. So he checks his voicemail, and it was from Jean's daughter, Nicole. And she was she had left a message explaining that she couldn't reach Jean. Could Chris please tell Jean when he got over there that her and Billy were actually going to be a little bit late because they were out. I think they were bowling. 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 Okay. So Chris is on his way to Jean's house. He stopped at a 7-Eleven that was actually right behind Jean's house. Like, you could see Jean's house from the parking lot. Okay. And he noticed that her car's there. So, he's like, okay, well, that's weird. So, he went into the store, bought a bottle of soda. This didn't take more than four minutes. Sure. So, as he gets back in a car, out of habit, he checks his cell phone just to make sure Jean hadn't called. Even So, though how he's, come he's not taking his cell phone with him? Oh, I mean, I, I take mine everywhere. Like, why didn't he take it in the store yeah. with him? I, I don't know. I guess maybe it, maybe it was charging. Maybe it was we'll charging. We'll just say that. Okay. So, he noticed he still didn't have a, a return call from Jean, but he's like, well, I'm right here by our house, so, you know, it don't really matter at this point. So, he pulls up in the driveway, and he notices that her, Jean's Shih Tzu, named Buster, was out in the backyard. Okay. And Buster was an inside dog, but he stayed in a kennel. And when Jean got home, she would let him out back to do his business. So he was never really out back for long. Like after he got done doing his business, she would let him back in. Mm -hmm. And Chris was like, well, it's kind of weird that Buster is still outside because, you know, he should be back in the house by now. So he walks up and Buster is, he could tell that Buster was very anxious and was yelpy. Instead of, like, being barking and playful. Huh. Mm-hmm. You know, um, dogs can sense things. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay. As Chris gets closer to the house, he notices there were no lights on in the house. He also noticed that the door was ajar, but it appeared that there wasn't anybody home. So, as he's stepping into the house, he actually calls out to Jean, and... 
When he gets in there, he didn't notice that the coffee table in the living room was smashed into bits and pieces. Uh Uh-oh. And that the kitchen was in a mess. Signs of a struggle. There had been some sort of struggle. That's what I have right here. So he made his way to the kitchen from the doorway. Mm -hmm. And like I said, all the lights in the house were off, but the the uh, refrigerator door was kind of cracked open so it kind of let out a little sliver of light to kind of illuminate so as he's walking in he he comes across Jean's legs first oh shit and he walks up closer and she was laying on the floor she was face down he knelt beside her and he caught out her name and then he starts trying to shake her saying wake up and he at that point was assuming that she had fallen and maybe hit her head on the corner of the stove or maybe she had just passed out because over the past the reason why he thought maybe she had passed out was because over the past few days she had been complaining about not feeling like herself Mm -hmm. and he said that she had dropped several pounds because she was following the atkins diet okay and she had been following it for about a month and she was talking about how great she felt since she lost weight so chris was wondering if maybe her weight loss caused her to get lightheaded or maybe she had maybe some kind of other undiagnosed health issue okay it was then that he noticed a large pool of blood underneath Jean's head and upper body she had bled all over the floor even though he noticed it up under her head and upper body, he still didn't notice that there was blood splattered from one end of the kitchen to the other. It was on the refrigerator, on the cabinets, on the door jam, on the table, chairs, floor. The carpet in the living room had patches of blood, and there were droplets that were leading up the stairs. So when he noticed the blood, he reached for the telephone, which happened to be like a foot and a half away from where Jean was laying. And he's trying to call 911, but he's having difficulty because by then, by then he's like shaking and nervous. Yeah. He eventually called, dialed 911. So the operator answered and he he's explaining what he just found in Gene's home. And the operator was like, okay, do you know what happened? And he's like, no, I just walked in. I just walked in the door. He told the operator that she's 43 and there's blood all over the place. That's horrible to walk in on right and the operator asked is she conscious then chris is like no i i just walked in so the operator said well can you lean down and make sure she's breathing so he told him to hold on and he did confirm that gene was not breathing so the operator starts asking questions chris tells the operator full name what his relation is to gene the operator asked chris if he could pick up another portable phone because I guess the phone he was using had a cord on it, you know, old school. Yeah. And she said, can you pick up a portable phone so that way you can walk out of the house but stay on the phone line with me? Maybe to flag down the police? I guess, maybe. Well, so he switched phones and the operator told him, I wanted you to back away from the room and so that way you wouldn't touch anything. Oh, preserving the crime. That's smart. That's smart. That's, that's a good 911 operator. That's why they work for 911. That's why we don't. We'd be like, shake the shit out of her. See if you can wake her up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Anyways, so the operator's like, so you don't know how long she's been there. Chris, for um, so for about a minute, Chris and the operator discussed the last time Chris saw Gene, which obviously was when he was leaving work. Right. So, I guess he's not thinking because um, he's he's on the cordless phone now. 
But he put the phone down and went back to Jean. He knelt beside her and he placed his hand right behind her back and picked her up. Picked oh, up. He picked her up. He picked up her neck and head up off the floor. Mm-hmm. And that's when he noticed that she was cold. But he still, at that point, and obviously this is kind of um, a hectic time and obviously a shock to him. So even then, he didn't notice that her shoulder, head, neck, and chest and the back of her head were covered with stab wounds. Oh, shit. Yeah. And she also had defensive wounds on her hands, but he didn't notice that either. So the operator told him, wait until you hear sirens. And he was like, okay. So he started hearing them outside, and he's like, should I go outside? And the operator was like, yes. So he looked at Jean before he walked out one last time. And that's at that point, he noticed that her eyes were open, and they were glossy looking. And then he said, that's when I knew she was gone. Shit. All right, let's go. Her eyes. Mm-hmm. You said there were... Glossy. Glossy. Glossy, glossy. I mean, have you ever seen that before? Actually, no. I've seen it one time, and it is... I will never forget it. Are they, like, frosty? Like, they get that that white... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, police officer Jeff Connors was the first to arrive. So, when he got there, he escorted Chris away from the house... And by then, neighbors are seeing that there's police officers because there's more arriving. So they started gathering in the street and talking as the police came and went. Mm -hmm. So Jean lived on Dumaine Avenue, and the street was getting clogged with crime scene investigation box trucks and evidence vans. Uniformed officers started banging on the door uh, doors of her neighbors and they were asking questions like what have you seen right what can you tell us they took statements and one of the most popular uh topics was gene's ex-husband anthony okay anthony kosinskas had been in trouble with the law and he and gene were at odds constantly and it was said that gene was terrified of him and, like, during the day when she worked, since the kids are older, she would leave them home by themselves. Sure. And she would call neighbors during the day and be like, hey, can you go over there and check on them? Right. And make sure they're okay. So she has some good neighbors, too. Yes. Okay. So her biggest fear was Anthony would show up unannounced. And I don't know if she was fearful that he would, like, try and kidnap the kids. Was he? A, was it ever said that he was abusive? It wasn't, and it wasn't, um, never said in the book exactly what went wrong with their marriage. That's what I was going to ask next. And I also did research on newspapers.com, but I didn't include it in, um, at the beginning because I'm not using any actual info from it in this episode. I will in part two. Still, shout out to newspapers.com. That's right. So, it, it never really said. Sponsor us. Please. <laughs> That was a feeble attempt. It was, wasn't it? That was so pitiful. Oh, my God. Okay. Anyways, it was said that she was always scared that Anthony was going to do something. So, I I don't know. And I don't like that. I don't have more info because I'm kind of like, I want to know. Well. Like, what does that mean? 
That's what I'm saying. I mean, if there was a fear that he was going to do something, then obviously something has led up to that. I guess. I, I, I don't know. You see what I'm saying? Right. It just, it seems like there's a history there. Right, and I probably wouldn't have um, included him in this episode episode if, obviously, he wasn't a suspect. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I, we got to work with what we got. Right. What's his name? Anthony Kosinskas. That is such a Suspect hard. number one. Oh, I like that. Y'all, my husband found sound effects, so <laughs> he's probably going to be driving y'all crazy. Come on now, that was funny. (laughs) Oh my God. Anyways, one of her friends said that Jean was terrified of Anthony. Um, She said that Jean always thought that he would kill her. So there again, it's like, oh, what kind of relationship did they have? That's what I'm saying. It sounds like it may have been toxic. It might have been. Yeah. Yeah. There had to have been some verbal abuse there had to have been something i mean you don't just divorce somebody and be like oh i'm scared of him i mean you've got to have a reason right so i don't know know. we're gonna leave that up to our imaginations our thoughts or yeah and look if it turns out that he's not a suspect no harm no foul we're not saying that he's guilty we're not saying right now i I don't know the story we're just trying to speculate what happened in their relationship exactly that's all Mm mm-hmm there was one instance where Anthony had fired a shotgun, which was a he fired a warning shot in the air as someone walked toward his car while he was hunting. Which I'm like, why were you in the car if you were hunting? Unless you were just getting there, or maybe you were getting back in the car to leave. But somebody started walking up toward his car, so he fired a warning shot from his car. From his car, <laughs> the person that he fired the warning shot at was a cop. He was arrested. So this does not help him. This is this kind of like, oh, yeah, he's kind of an obvious suspect at this moment. There are two things that you obviously do not do. Shoot at cops? When <laughs> when I mean, you're, when you're, and I'm, I'm throwing up the air bunnies here, hunting. Mm-hmm. Okay. One is... You do not hunt something that is not in season. Right. And the other thing is you do not fire a gun from your car. Mm. It is illegal. And so uh, that's the really the two of the main rules of right. hunting is, you know, don't fire a gun from your car. That and if you're hunting, why would you want to do that anyways? Because, I mean, if you're hunting, you're going to be out yeah in a blind or up in a tree exactly that's what they say i mean you can get out of your vehicle and walk to the edge of the woods and hunt from right there if that's what you wanted to do right as long as you're not shooting from your vehicle right they they call it it's an advantage or something like that i mean you have a gun so you have an advantage over the animal anyway so now the neighbors are starting to figure out what happened that well not what happened but obviously it's gene that's dead yeah and they're beginning to worry about her kids nicole and drew so 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 they're not even there right they're not there because remember nicole was out with billy right and drew 
um, they had actually found um, a note that he was going to be out with friends. Okay. Yeah. So neighbors knew that Gene was in the house, deceased. Nicole and Billy, I mean, not Nicole and Billy, sorry. Nicole and Drew were not in the house. Mm-hmm. So they weren't there. So they're like, oh my God, what's going to happen when they come home? How are they going to handle the news? So obviously neighbors are like worried about this. Sure. So a few hours later, Chris was still at the scene. But while he was at the scene, a, a police officer was like guarding him. Not really guarding him, but like following his every move, I guess, to make sure he didn't like try. Observing. Observing, like if he had any, like if he was, and obviously Chris was a suspect, but if it, if he had anything on him, he wasn't going to, you know, try and dispose of it when nobody was looking and all that, obviously. So he was finally taken to the police station about nine o'clock that night. And he's in the, the interrogation room and he's going over the details of what happened that evening, like leading up to him getting to Gene's house and, you know, him calling 911. And he, at that point, that's when he remembers the kids. And he's like, he told him, he's like, where are the kids? I need to find the kids. And I need, because I need to tell them before they find out some other way. And a detective told him, he's like, well, we're, we're working on locating them. And as they're questioning Chris, he finally realized that Gene hadn't died in like a tragic manner, like a tragic accident. He's starting to notice by the way they're questioning him that she had been murdered. Because he he didn't see all of her injuries. Right. Okay. Well, and he thought about the kids, which probably one of the first things I would have thought of Mm -hmm. as well. I mean, uh, I don't want them to find out from a stranger or, you know, you need to find them. You need to bring them to me. Right. Let me tell them. Exactly. So, as Chris is realizing that she was murdered, they obviously ask him if she, if he knew if she had any enemies, and Chris mentioned Anthony, the ex-husband. I know you're going to get into this. Have they found him yet? Who? Anthony. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to build up the suspense. <laughs> and you are, and you got me on the edge of my seat. Okay. And I am ready for them to bring this dude in, and I want to hear his alibi, because uh-huh. I know he's got one. Okay. So, the t- the, t- <laughs> the tits. <laughs> so, the detective also asked, what about Nicole and Drew? Sure. And Chris is like, no, Nicole's a model daughter and student. And you mean he, they asked him if they had anything to do with right. it? Oh, what, shit. What his opinion? Because, I mean, right now, everybody is a suspect. Everybody. Yeah, I mean, I guess, but I mean, they were even like the neighbors that they questioned. They were even loading the neighbors up and taking them to the police station and questioning them. And then they would bring them back home. Well, I mean, at least they're doing their due diligence. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, Chris said that Drew was hotheaded at times because, I mean, he's a 14 year old boy. Um, But he also said there was no no way that Drew would harm Gene at all i wouldn't think so so billy and nicole arrived at the house somewhere around 10 15 p.m that night and to get to the house they had to come up from the opposite end of the street because the end of the street that the house was on is obviously 
blocked with neighbors, crime scene vans, and all that. So they came from the opposite end. And as they're pulling up, Nicole was in the passenger seat because they're in Billy's car and her window's down. And as they drove closer to the house, several officers were standing out, you know, kind of with the, I guess the crowd, kind of crowd control. And they see the car coming, so they go out there and they stand in front of the car and motion for it to stop. And officers quickly surrounded the car as they were getting out. And Nicole was like, what's going on here? And the officer's like, she, you know, she was surprised by all this commotion. Nobody told her what was going on. They told her that they had to go to the police station and give a statement, her, Nicole and Billy. Okay. Nicole and Billy were transported to the police station, but they went in separate vehicles. And they were also doing that with the neighbors that were like spouses. They would take one spouse and bring that spouse back and then take the other spouse. So they were, everybody, they were like, you know, trying to get, keep people from having a chance to talk and be like, okay, here's my alibi. What's your alibi? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, they're they're doing their due diligence. They are. I for mean, sure. Yeah. So, by now, Chris had been questioned for a few hours, and he had even given a DNA sample. And the detectives told him, okay, you know, you're free to go. So, he actually had to call his parents to come pick him up because his vehicle is still at the crime scene. And obviously, there's going to be because you remember he drove his car to right. Yeah, I'd be like, okay, y'all done with me. Okay, who's taking me back to my house? Or you know, <laughs> right? And maybe that was discussed. I don't know, but he called his parents. So while he's waiting for his parents, detectives um, told him they're like, we got somebody we need to introduce you to. And he's like, okay. And the lady's name was Jennifer Hunt, and she was a victims advocate for New Hampshire. Okay. So her primary job was to help victims and witnesses of all ages understand and maneuver through the criminal court system. All right. So she was her her job at now was to be there for Chris, Nicole, Drew, or anybody else in Jean's family that needed emotional support. Uh huh. And she would walk uh, Chris and Jean's friends and family through the judicial system. And explain what was happening as the investigation proceeded. All right. So, like, which I think this is awesome because, I, obviously, I've never been in anything like this. So I would be like, what's fixing to happen next? What's going to happen? Well, that's, you said it th that uh, she is there to walk them through the court system, the judicial system. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. They're not, also, at, they're not at that stage yet. Right, but also, um, and she was there to explain what was happening as the investigation proceeded. So, as it's where it is right now, what's going on, and then as it goes on, what's going to happen when it gets to the court system and all that. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Okay. Um, while Chris and Hunt are talking, she explained that Drew had been brought to the police station and that he was going to go to his father's house. She said that Anthony was going to pick Drew up, and Chris is like, what? And he said, you know, Anthony hadn't really done anything for the kids since Chris and Gene had been together. And Chris told Hunt, he's like, Gene would not want that. And Hunt tells him, she's like, well, there's not really anything we can do about it right now because now... They weren't married. Right, and Anthony is now Drew's legal guardian. Right. Wow. Yeah. Oh, shit. 
I know, horrible. So Detective Dennis Linehan had been a police officer for nine and a half years. Gene's case was going to be his fifth murder investigation as a detective. So Linehan was the one who brought Billy to the police station. So when he gets there, he places Billy in a small interview room. Mm -hmm. And as Billy is sitting down, he tells Linehan, he's like, oh, I'm going to get out of here. I don't I don't like police stations. And Linehan notices that Billy's leg was bouncing up and down nervously, which I can't say nothing about that because I do that. I mean, you do that all the time. I do that all the time. I have to, you know, when we're recording sometimes, I have to, yes. you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I can't really say that that's a... A sign. A sign that he's a suspect. Right. I'm yep. just, you know. So Linehan asks Billy, he's like, are you okay? And Billy's like, I'm good. And uh, Linehan's like, okay. He's leaving out of the room and he tells Billy, he's like, I'll be right back. So Linehan returns and he has a, like a notepad and he's kind of just kind of going over him and Billy is obviously fidgety and uncomfortable. I would be too. I would absolutely be yeah. uncomfortable. I mean, they say, well, if you didn't have anything to do with it, you don't have anything to be nervous about. Well, bullshit. Right, but you're looking at me You're well, like I'm a, a suspect. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's like guilty until right. proven innocent. Right. Look. I literally had nothing to do with this, but you're you're going to treat me like a suspect, you know. Well, just provide your alibi. I was at home in bed. Can any was anybody there? No. My bed. Yeah, my bed. My, my dog. My dog saw me in the bed. You can ask my dog. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I'm saying. There's a a lot of those cases that go around that somebody is literally at home in bed, but they're looked at as a suspect. Right. You know. Yeah, I would be nervous, too, Mm -hmm. you know. So, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's fine. And Billy, at that moment, he asked, what's going on here? Like, you know, why why are we here at this police station? So, Linehan tells Billy that Gene was seriously injured and that detectives were... Seriously injured? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean... They can tell him. Oh, that's true. I mean, he's he's 18, but... But he's he's I don't know a boyfriend of the daughter. I know, but I don't know if they're still trying to you know be kind of gentle about it. Because I mean, he's already nervous. You can tell. So mm. maybe they don't want to be like, oh, hey, she was murdered. All right. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Maybe they're saying that to 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 basically draw something out of him. Like, oh, I thought she was dead. Right. You know, maybe like only the something only the killer would know. Oh, that's true. I don't know. I don't maybe know. it's a tactic. Hmm. The Linehan tells them that detectives were speaking speaking to individuals to obtain information. And Billy said, okay, well, I'll provide any info that you want. I'm, I'm going to cooperate, obviously. Linehan asked Billy how him and Nicole had spent the day. And Billy said, we went to Lita Lane's, which is a bowling alley. And we must have stopped at Dunkin' Donuts around 1,200 times. <laughs> A slight exaggeration. Right? So, Linehan asked him when was the last time that he, Billy, had spoke to Gene. And Billy said that Gene had called the house around 2 o'clock that day to speak to Nicole. But Nicole was in the shower. And, because remember, Gene was at work that day. Mm-hmm. and But Nicole was in the shower, so Billy talked to Gene. And Gene told him, well, this evening I'm going to be picking up a pizza. Chris is coming over. And... Billy said, he's like, I remember Jean saying that she was looking forward to all of us playing Pictionary. 
I used to love that game. Really? Yeah, I did. I used to love it. So Linehan again asked where Billy and Nicole went that day, and this time Billy added that they went to the Pheasant Lane Mall. But they didn't buy anything. They just walked around. I know that feeling. Done yep. that before. That's right. When you ain't got no money, you just walk around and look. <laughs> you look around look around and wish. And wish, yep. So Billy's still acting nervous. His leg is still bouncing. So Linehan asked Billy, he's like, would you be more comfortable if we moved you to a bigger room? Mm-hmm. And Billy's like, yeah, that, that would be great. So down the hall, Detective Mark Schaff was in an interview room with Nicole. Okay. And Schaff had actually secured permission from Nicole's dad, Anthony, to interview Nicole because you know she's 15 right to interview her formally and take a statement and anthony's like yeah that's yeah you can do that so shaft reads her her benoit rights which is is the juvenile equivalent to miranda rights oh okay i'd never heard of that i haven't either shaft said that nicole was visibly upset because then she had just learned that her mother was seriously injured so she didn't know so they just told her so Detective Schaff asked Nicole about what her and Billy had done that day. Right. So he said Nicole started hyperventilating, but she was in, she eventually calmed down and was able to talk. So she said they went to Walmart and then to see the movie The Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay, that's um, not just the same. A, a little bit different that's than different. what. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, after getting Nicole's account of the day, Shaft met Linehan in the hallway and they compared versions of the day that Nicole and Billy had described to them. Right. And they're like, oh, there's some discrepancies. So, Shaft went back in the room with Nicole and Linehan went ahead and moved Billy to a bigger room. <laughs> a so, bigger room? A bigger room. So we can uh, spread out. Right. <laughs> So the room that they moved into had a video camera and an audio recorder. And as Billy goes in the room and he's getting comfortable, he notices the video camera and he's like, "What's that for?" And Linhan's like, "Well, no one's recorded without their knowledge, so he's not he's not being recorded. It just happened to be this equipment is in this larger room." Sure. So Linhan asks Billy again, "How was your day spent?" And he tells them they were getting inconsistent info and they needed accurate info. Yeah. So Linehan went ahead and outlined the differences in Billy and Nicole's stories. And Billy's like, oh, yeah, I forgot we did. Oh, shit. He told him? Billy's like, oh, yeah. But not all of it. So okay. Just listen. Okay. Billy's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. We did go to Walmart. But I'm not sure if we went to Walmart today or yesterday. And then he was like, we talked about going to a movie, but we never did. But Nicole said they did. So, Linehan notices that Billy is starting to, like, fidget more. And Linehan looks at him, and he's like, is that shirt you're wearing new? Because Linehan said the shirt looked new. And Billy's like, yeah, Nicole bought it for me. At Walmart. Not today, though. Yesterday. He never said where she bought it from. But it wasn't today. It was yesterday. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Linehan then said, okay. He's like, we're going to have to collect DNA evidence, which obviously, because they collected it from Chris. And we're going to have to check the surveillance video from the area businesses. Because remember, the 7-Eleven was right behind her house. Yeah. Yep. Billy becomes angry and he's like, what do you mean? 
and Linehan told him, he's like, look, I'm not accusing you of anything. He's like, I'm just trying to explain to you the steps that we're going to follow in this investigation. Sure. And Billy's like, well, why is it so important? I didn't have anything to do with Gene being injured. Okay. He never said you did. He was just telling you what was fixing to happen next. Well, I'm going to get these tapes from this camera at the 7-Eleven. Right. And... um I didn't say I'm going to see if they're if you're on them. Right. I'm just gonna. I'm just telling you what we're going to do. I mean, if you're concerned about us finding her killer, then you would be like, "Oh my gosh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah a you good need idea. to check this business too." Right. Right. That's a good idea. Y'all mm. do need to check those cameras. Right. So Linehan told him that he would be back in a few minutes, and as he closed the door, he le- he heard a loud bang. So he walked around the corner because he was able around the corner to see into the room that Billy was in because there was a two-way mirror. So he sees that Billy slapping his hands on the table and then he jumped out of the out of his chair and went to a plastic trash can and started heaving. Oh. Oh yeah. So Linehan went back in the room and he's like, "Um, you want to go to a restroom and get cleaned up?" And yeah. Billy's like, no, and I'm in my mind. I'm thinking, oh, you nasty, right? You go rinse your mouth out, wash your hands. But he was like, no. So Lynn Hen's like, okay, I'll be back in a few minutes. Like, you got some out toys, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! I, mean, I need a breath mint. <laughs> remind me when i come back in here and question you some more to sit way at the other end of the table yeah so detective sergeant richard sprinkle i like that sprinkle Sprinkle. yes nice he had returned to the station from the crime scene because he had been at the crime scene overseeing everything so he's finally back at the station so linehan goes to him up goes to him and he tells him he's like we're starting to get we've got inconsistencies from billy and nicole so sergeant sprinkle was like why don't me and you go ahead and go back in there and talk to billy sorry i think that that's a good idea uh you play good cop i'll play play bad cop Uh uh-huh yeah so they go back in there and they you know they started off with small talk you know because Sergeant Sprinkle went in there and he was, you know, kind of going over Billy's background, his childhood, you know, trying to be the nice one. And finally, Sergeant Sprinkle said, listen, Jean Domenico is dead. Her killer will be located as a result of prints found at the crime scene because there was a bloody handprint on the wall. 24 hours, cuss. Uh, we're going to locate the suspect in 24 hours because right? of these handprints. That's right. Anything you want to tell us? So he also tells uh, Billy, he's like, we can also get the surveillance tapes from the businesses located j- adjacent to Gene's house. Anything you want to tell us? Well, he's like, yeah, I'm going to talk. He's like, I'm going to talk. Figured. Yeah, I figured. And Nicole, she's still down in in the room with detect- Detective Schaff. And she's beginning to open up. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And she actually stunned Schaff by saying, we tried to kill my mother three other times, but it didn't work. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. So now we know who killed Jean. Mm-hmm. So... Which I'm going to go into detail in part two about the other uh, The other ones? Yeah, okay. About well, leading up to this? Yeah. Well, obviously, I'd love to, to hear that, but I was like, did she know 
that they that it was them that were trying to kill her. And I know that you'll probably get into that. You right. Know? But it's like, God, oh, if you know that you're that that these two have tried to kill you in the past, why would you like be having pizza with them? Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So we're going to learn about uh, Jean. She was born in Malden, Massachusetts in August. All right. 29th of 1959. But she was raised in Braintree. Her parents were considered well-educated. She was Italian, and during her younger years, she had long, silky black hair. The other kids in the neighborhood were drawn to her because of her lively nature and her tender attitude. She never judged people, and in her mind, everybody was equal, which I love. I I mean, it kind of sounds like um, Crystal Gale. Oh, yeah, she did have some pretty hair. Long, black, silky mm-hmm. hair. Really nice person, you mm-hmm. know. Crystal Gale. Yep. Former neighbors said that Jean's family was close-knit. One childhood friend would say that when she and Jean were kids, they would sing Diana Ross songs Oh my! in the garage, and they would talk about boys. Talk about the boys. Oh, my God. Jean's house was the gathering place for the neighborhood children, and her mother welcomed and watched out for everyone. That's a mom. That is a mom. Yeah, that's sound, a mom. This sounds wonderful. Obviously, yep. Jean had a wonderful childhood. Yeah, absolutely. And when Jean started her own family many years later, no job was beneath her. After Jean and her husband Anthony divorced, she worked numerous part-time jobs to keep food on the table. That's a mom. She worked as a school aide, a crossing guard, a lunchroom monitor. She was a hand at the local post office. A cashier at McDonald's, a house cleaner, and a babysitter of neighborhood children. So That's there a mom. was literally nothing she that. wouldn't do. She followed in her mom's footsteps. Right. I mean, tell me something bad about her. I'm going to break your heart because there is absolutely nothing bad about her. This is why this oh, is heartbreaking. Jean was not someone who drew attention to herself. She was more concerned with the happiness and security of others than what her own life could provide unbelievable her neighbor carla said that Jean was actually outside in her yard raking leaves when carla's real estate agent took carla to look at the house which was across the street from Jean's. so carla did end up buying the house and she said that Jean was so welcoming and friendly even the first moment that they saw each other Hmm. so their friendship started getting stronger not long after carla moved in and Carla's like, she, Carla said, I would be outside or maybe walk into my car. And Jean would pop her head out of the door and scream, hey, honey, waving and smiling. And Carla said it was the tone of her voice. and made me get excited about life. Hey, girl. I mean, it reminds me of uh, mom on Friday. Right. Hollering across the street at the. Yeah. When Miss. No. Remember, it was Miss. Uh. Miss Parker called, Ms. Parker. Out, called mm-hmm. out to her, and she's like, hey, girl. Yeah. She's like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Craig's mom started talking about her up under her breath. Oh, right. look at her. <laughs> <laughs> can y'all tell that we can sit here and quote Friday? Right. <laughs> Call me when you get home. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can. Yeah. So, Carla w- worked at a 
worked as a nail technician at a nearby salon. All right. So she remembered Jean coming in one day getting her nails done. Oh, shit. And as part of the service, the, when the session ended, the the nail tech would massage the person's hands. Massage my hands? Mm-hmm. Hey, will you massage my hands? I know you done had it done. You know how to do it. I have had it done. Okay, here go. <laughs> here go. Here's my hand. Hold my hand. <laughs> So when she finished Jean's session, Jean grabbed Carla by the hands and said, now let me do that to you. She's like, you know, you sit here all day long and you do this to everybody. And I bet you've never had anybody massage your hands. And Carla's like, well, yeah, no, I haven't. So Jean sat there and massaged Carla's hands for her when she was done. Carla also remembered that one Saturday afternoon, her and Jean were both cleaning like their own houses. And she said Jean just called out of the blue and said, hey, I'm making pina coladas. You want one? And Carla was like, heck yeah. So a few minutes later, Nicole showed up at Carla's door with a fresh pina colada that Mm. Jean had sent over there. And Carla said it was just so funny, so random. And now that I look back on it all, Jean just loved putting a smile on everybody's face. It was a good memory, and I'll never forget it. Damn. Man, this sucks. I know. Her fiancé, Chris, remembered. He's like, when Drew was in Little League, she never missed a practice. Chris even said, I would tell her, hey, let's drop Drew off and let him practice, and we'll go get something to eat. You know, have a little you time. Sure. And she was like, "Uh uh-uh. He's like, she would not hear it. He's like, she was there for every moment of his practice. It sucks. Yeah. So, Jen Velo, and I might be saying this wrong, it's V-E-I-L-L-E-U-X, Velo. I'm going to go with Velo. Because from here on out, I'm going to be calling her Jen. So, Jen Velux had known Jean for 12 years and considered Jean to be a great friend. Jen and Jean, that's going to get hard to say, actually met during the summer of 1991 at the condo complex where they both lived. Jen was pregnant, and one day she was out by the pool just, you know, relaxing. And she was people watching, which I understand because I love to people watch. Right. So she was watching people from behind her sunglasses, and she caught a glimpse of a dark-haired woman with two kids, which obviously it was Jean, and that glimpse turned into her actually observing Jean, and Jean, uh, Jen was thinking, you know, Jean was a wonderful mother, she was kind and firm, and genuinely full of love for her children, and she was, uh, Jen was thinking, you know, that's the type of mother, you know, I want to be. So wow. at the end of the day, Jen actually approached Jean and introduced herself and she asked Jean she's like what do you do for a living and Jean's like I'm a stay-at-home mom and so Jen's like um would you be interested in babysitting part-time after her baby's born because Jen was a teacher so she told Jean you would have summers and school vacations off Mm -hmm. and Jean was like you know yeah I probably will so Jen went over looked at Jean's house and everything was good so a little while after Jen's daughter Emily was born, Jen actually dropped off uh, Emily and Emily's older sister because she did have an older child. Mm-hmm. But that child obviously was in school, so didn't really need child care. But she dropped him by there because she's like, well, the older child, which they never gave the name, could tell me, you know, this happened while when you dropped us off or this happened, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. 
So anyways, the other child was like, everything was great. So Jen was like, in her mind, she was like, I was right. Jean was an awesome person. Wow. So as time went on, it became evident to Jen that her child, Emily, was special. Emily wasn't talking and she seemed different, which it didn't really scare Jean away from like taking care of her. Because, you know, some people might be like, mm, I can't deal with a special needs child, but it didn't bother Jean. So and Jen thought that, you know, maybe it made Jean love Emily a little bit more because, you know, she got to pay more attention to her mm -hmm. or, you know, take care of her. Right. And which was exactly what Emily needed. So Jen said that Jean would call her at work, like for Emily's first, like it wasn't really like first words or anything because she didn't, she didn't talk. But any, like, you know, the first rollover or the first crawl. Right. Jean would call her and be like, hey, she just did this. Because Jen said Jean felt guilty because she was experiencing the first and Jen wasn't because Jen had to work. Did Jen care? Yeah. Okay. Not like, oh, my God, I can't believe she got to experience it and I didn't. More like, you know, Jen appreciated Jean calling her and sharing with her. That's where I was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. As Emily got older, Jen started taking her to specialists, but they could never diagnose what what was wrong. Jean was like, well, Emily is a lot smarter than she appears. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she can do a little bit more than she lets on. But by the time Emily was three, she still could barely walk and she couldn't talk at all. Mm -hmm. So the doctors at that point had failed to determine a diagnosis so, Jen and Jean just referred to what Emily had as the Queen Bee Syndrome <laughs> because it fit her personality. Okay. Like, she'll do it when she gets ready. She's the queen. When she gets ready, she'll do all this stuff. I think I have an idea what's wrong. Or not wrong, but I think I have an idea what's going on with her. So, when it came time for Emily to attend school, Jean was panicking as much as Jen and her husband. Jean was worried that Emily wouldn't have the same opportunities as other kids. And Jean um, knew that she couldn't depend on the school system to actually be there for Emily. So Jean was just as worried as the parents were. Right. So before Emily's first day of school, a little sometime before that, Jean sat Jen down and she's like, I made a decision. And Jen's like, what's that? And Jean's like, I'm going to go to school with Emily she's like i can't allow her to go it alone so the following day Jean went to the nashua school district and applied to be emily's full-time paraprofessional what is that they're like kind of a teacher's aide they're in the classroom with the teachers and like i guess they're assigned certain students and kind of like with our son like if he has a meltdown or whatever the paraprofessional will be like okay you know calm him down so the teacher can kind of but does it, wouldn't you think that that would hinder being that it's her, mm -hmm. you know, being there and mm -hmm. stuff? Would, wouldn't you think that that would hinder her, the child? No, because some kids, I mean, there's paraprofessionals at our kids' school. I know. Right. But it's Jean. What I'm saying is, is that that child is fixing to spend almost round the clock with Jean. Wouldn't you think that they would need to be introduced to a different But this child person? is still not walking and still not talking. Well, she's barely walking, but she's still not talking. So you're going to put this child in an environment. She can't talk. So how is the teacher going to know what she wants? I didn't think about that. 
Right. You're, you're right. I got you. Okay. So on Emily's first day of school, Jean placed Emily on the bus with her backpack and Jean jumped into her own car with her sign language books that she was working with Emily with and she went off to school and she stayed with Emily every day until Emily was in the second grade. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Chris remembered the moment that he met Jean. It was his first day on the job at Oxford Health Plans. Jean at the time was working two part-time jobs along with her full-time job at Oxford and had actually been with the company for years. They had both been assigned to the same department where they would be working on group contracts for the benefits, brokers, and administration. So the day that Chris started, they were both starting in the same department and they were training. And Chris's first thought about Jean was like, she's so different. Chris had never been married and he doesn't have any kids. So he's just kind of staring at Jean as the day went on. And he could tell she was a hard worker. But she also took the time to have her nails polished and painted. So he was very observant. He was. Yeah. He was also taken with Jean's eyes, which were a pale blue. He was also taken with Jean's smile. And it was said the same mannerisms that her friends and neighbors would later call contagious and infectious, like her laugh and all that, that like really done Chris in, that mm-hmm. grabbed him. Yeah. And he just felt comfortable with her. He said that Jean obviously was more concerned with the happiness and security of others. So she didn't know how to react to somebody showing her affection. Right. So as time passed, she did learn to accept the simple gestures of love that he made. And Chris, because Chris said that Jean deserved to be loved in a way that she had never experienced. That's sweet. Jean and Chris never set a wedding date. They decided that they were going to wait until Nicole and Drew had graduated from high school and were well, establ- well established in the direction of their lives. Nicole and Drew were what mattered most to Jean, and her and Chris both agreed that the kids would come first. As they should. As they should. So now we know a little bit about Jean. I mean, there was more people going on and on and on about her. I can only imagine. I mean, there was really nothing bad ever said. And that's what kind of floors me. It's like nobody has anything bad to say about her. Right. And she's dead. And she's dead by her daughter and her daughter's boyfriend. That's it's horrible. horrible. It's just horrible. Senseless. So, Nicole, I'm going to introduce you to Nicole. Nicole Kosinskis was never part of a clique or a popular group of kids at the Nashua High School South. She was her own person. She had olive skin and long, shiny black hair. She was considered big-boned, but not overweight. And she was developing into a respectable young woman. By the time she turned 13, she secretly wanted to date several different boys at school, but she never had the courage to actually go and talk to them. Jean and Nicole had what was described as the perfect mother-daughter relationship. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Just wait for part two. Oh, I mean, I kind of have to wait. Yeah, you do. (laughs) Jean and Nicole expressed a deep sense of love for each other. Nicole would give Jean a card saying, I love you just because. No special day, like not Mother's Day, not birthdays, just to tell her mother that she loved her. 
and Gene never had any problems from Nicole other than the typical not wanting to do chores. What? Uh huh. I mean, okay, keep going because I'm waiting on the bad. Yeah. Uh huh. I'm. I mean, come on. Let's I hear. Sa- it. I said senseless, and when I say senseless, I mean senseless. And we'll find out in part two the whole reason. Okay. So there is a reason. So there is a motive. Uh huh. Okay. Uh huh. Remember on Scream, the scariest part of a murder is no motive. So you're telling me that there's, there's there a will motive. eventually sh- a motive will right. show up. Okay. Yep. All right. Go ahead. There was an incident at school that did send Nicole into a deep depression. Nicole didn't like to wear panties. So Okay. One day in between classes, a large group of students were hanging out in the courtyard of the school. And Nicole was wearing loose-fitting sweatpants. So there was a girl there that was kind of bullying Nicole. So she walked up behind her and pulled her pants down. What the f... And obviously the girl (sighs) didn't know that she wasn't wearing panties. So she was like... The girl was probably thinking, I'm going to embarrass her by, you know, showing her panties to everybody. But no. She showed all of her business to everybody. And, of course, kids started laughing and pointing... So, Jean hit the roof when she found out, and Nicole was traumatized, and she didn't go to school for three days after this. So, Jean went to the principal and said, "Um, you need to do something about this incident. So, the other girl was suspended for three days. That's it. Mm -hmm. So That's just horrible. It's horrible. I mean... So, this this incident kind of sent her into a little depression, and obviously, she was already shy because, you know... She had boys she liked, but she wouldn't talk to them. And, and now it's like shattered. I mean, all right. that's just gone. Right. Yeah. So now it became easier for her to sit at a computer and meet people in chat rooms. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to meet Billy. That's how she met him? Mm-hmm. Shit. William Billy Joseph Sullivan Jr. was born on March 4th, 1985. He was raised in Willimantic, which is in the northeastern section of Connecticut. I love that name, Willimantic. (laughs) I might be saying it wrong. Billy lived on Kathleen Drive in a rather cute little ranch-style home overlooking the city. Mm. He lived with his four younger sisters, two of whom were twins, and his mother, Patricia. His mother, Pat, who we're going to call her Pat from here on out, admitted that she hadn't been a good mother. When she was pregnant with Billy, she drank at least a six-pack of beer every day and smoked cigarettes. When she was pregnant with him? When she was pregnant with him. Okay. He was born four weeks premature. He was like, it's too smoky in here. I got to get out. (laughs) I got to get out. When he, at the time he was born, Pat was living in Norwich, Connecticut, and she had a son from a previous relationship so it was Pat, Billy, her son from a previous relationship, and Billy's father. So one night, Pat recalled she was carrying Billy. He was 18 months old at this time. And one arm, and her and Billy's father, William, were arguing. And Pat and William had both been drinking heavily that day. So William punched her in the face. So she had to go to the hospital, and the doctors put 17 stitches in her head. So Pat called the police and had William arrested. Wow. Pat then moved into an apartment in town that was owned by William's parents. 
after this happened, Billy began suffering from nightmares and he developed a severe allergy to milk products and then developed asthma. You developed that? I guess. I mean, I know you develop asthma. Uh huh. But you develop an allergy to or a to milk products like you said i guess i mean i didn't get start showing symptoms of being allergic to fish till i was 25 maybe don't understand that i I thought if if it was in you to be allergic to something you're allergic from birth right some people aren't right well okay a few days after settling into their new apartment william called pat and pat told him hey i'm pregnant So they talked and they both decided that they were going to stop drinking so they could be together in a somewhat normal environment. Pat stopped drinking four months after learning she was pregnant. Four months after? (laughs) After learning she was pregnant. (laughs) Y'all, this isn't funny, but it kind of is like, really? It's not funny. It is not funny. But at the same time, it's like, really? It's not funny that things can happen. Right. Things can happen when when you drink or you smoke, or you do drugs when you're pregnant. Right. You know, not every time, not 100% of the time that's, you know, that, that something happens. But you want to take that chance? You I wanna wouldn't. Take, even if it was a 85% chance that something's not going to happen to the child, you want to take that 15% chance? No. That's what I'm saying. Because, I mean, you're, you are growing a tiny human. That's right. And you want to do everything right right so your tiny human comes out a right to be president one day that's That's what you want yeah that's what you want you want that tiny human to come out and grow up and take care of you when you get old yeah bonden said they're putting me in a home assholes over my dead body (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness so like i said pat stopped drinking four months after learning she was pregnant William couldn't stop drinking, and he started hitting Pat again. Oh, shit. William's parents eventually evicted them from the apartment, and they moved into a welfare motel. That's that's what it was called. In Groton, Connecticut. Okay. So after about two months after they moved into the motel, Pat dropped Billy off to spend time with his dad, because at this point, her and uh, William... They were together, but they were back and forth. Right. Like, he would come stay for a little while. They'd fight, and he'd go off for a little while. So, on this day, she dropped Billy off to spend time with his dad so she can go to the laundromat. Okay. And so, she's doing laundry. Her older son had went to Willimantic to take his driver's test. Right. So, while she's following laundry, she heard on the radio that there was a fire in Groton. William took Billy to watch the fire, and it was actually the apartments they were staying in that were on fire. <laughs> Never mind. Why? I don't know. So Pat <laughs> said that Billy was actually scared because at the time he didn't know if any of his friends were in the fire. How old was Billy? At this time he was four. 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 Hey, son. You want to go watch the fire? fire? <laughs> uh-uh. Was he drunk? Probably. Oh, my God. When Billy was four, he started having thoughts about being killed. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. That's not normal. (laughs) Right. So, by now, Pat has two daughters. Because, you know, 
she was pregnant. Right. And then she had another daughter after that one. So Pat put Billy in therapy. And after a year of intense counseling with the United Services in Norwich, Billy started sleeping better. Okay. And he seemed to be more social and he was calmer. So Pat took him out of therapy. And Pat also decided that it was time to divorce William. Good for her. Good for her. And although William was abusive, he and Billy were close. So when William was gone for good, Billy began acting out again. He would be violent. He would throw things and he would hit things and people. So by the time Billy was six, that's when he first mentioned a desire to commit suicide. Six. Six. He was six. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, the, some of this can be a product of his environment, but also how much of this is a product of the alcohol drinking? Because, I mean, obviously, his brain was forming while he was in the womb. I mean, did something not form right? Well, you have to ask yourself, was he ever tested? Did he ever have a diagnosis of, of you know, from the medical standpoint? All that was ever said, and we'll get into it, was just that he had mental issues. Nothing. Nothing ever diagnosed Yeah, officially. nothing specific. Like, oh, he's schizophrenic or, oh, he's bipolar. There's I mean, something there. Yeah. By the time Billy was seven, he had gone through kindergarten twice, and now he has four sisters. Because <laughs> <laughs> the last two sisters were twins. Oh, okay. His normal antics of acting out turned more risky. He would jump off roofs jump out of trees and was just in general doing very dangerous things and then pat's oldest son moved out and billy was devastated when billy was eight he was at elmcrest psychiatric hospital really mm -hmm. and he was here when he found out that a friend of his from the neighborhood was killed when a truck sitting on a car lift fell on him oh what a car lift what the hell was he doing in a mechanic shop? I have no idea. Oh, man. So, Pat's like, well, Billy's already in Elmcrest, so this is probably the best place for me to go ahead and tell him. Because, you know, he's in a controlled environment. So, Pat tells him, and he starts acting out, so he was kept at Elmcrest for 30 days. Okay. The hospital had to routinely restrain him. And remember, he's eight. He's eight. He was put in the padded room. So, after 30 days, he was eventually, he was let out. And he did seem calmer when he was released. But he was on many medications. Okay. So, over time, the doctors were trying to find the right mixture of what would allow him to live a somewhat normal life. And some of his medicines, now, these, this is some of the stuff he's been on. Not necessarily all at one time. Okay. But this is some of the stuff he's been on. All right. Clonidine. Alonzapine, Neurotin, Thorazine, Risperdal, Depakote, Ritalin, Prozac, Lithium, Buspar, Zoloft, Zyprexa, and Prexidone. That's different medicines that they've tried him on. Wow. And you know, you have to take those for some some yeah. weeks. Yeah. Before you see what the actual effect's going to be. And then they change them. Right. And you have to wait another couple of weeks. And and also with these medicines, this isn't something that you can't just stop taking. Right. You got to kind of wean yeah. off. Mm -hmm. Wow. And he's eight. Right. 
in all these medicines I just listed out, this was over time. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So during the spring of 1994, Pat had respite workers who would come to the apartment to help her with the kids. What's that? that? I'm thinking it might be something like your mom has with your sister. Oh, okay. Yeah. Billy went after them one day with a baseball bat. <laughs> And threatened to swing it at them. And then when he he actually swung it at one and missed them. So then he went and demolished one of his sister's bicycles in his fit of rage. So after that incident, the state was like, yeah, we can't send any more respite workers to your house. And Billy was sent back to Elmcrest for another 30-day stay. State workers. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the same thing. When he came home... He continued the same behavior, so this time he was putting put in Newington Children's Hospital. When he got out of Newington, he started hitting his sisters and running away. Mm. By the time he turned 11, he had been admitted to two more hospitals, other than the ones I just listed, for his behavioral issues. Mm. Counseling wasn't, wasn't effective because he wasn't getting anything out of it because he would not participate. Of course, if you don't participate, how are they, they going to help? help you? Right. <laughs> he was becoming disrespectful to his teachers. He was cursing and threatening them, starting fights with other students. He was getting expelled, and he would throw things at school officials and students. So finally, Pat's like, "You know what? You know, I'm kind of getting where because he's getting older, mm-hmm. and she's kind of like, you know." I'm responsible for him, but also I need some type of help. So she petitioned the state of Connecticut for a probation officer. Whoa. And they granted it. Whoa. So he had to meet with his probation officer twice a month, and they would discuss his behavior. So now at some level, Billy was accountable for what he was doing. I mean, he. but does that make him a ward of the state? I don't know. It didn't go into detail, or maybe it was kind of like with the probation officer, like if he did something right. out of line, maybe maybe you need to go back to this hospital, or maybe, or if you did this kind of crime, maybe. That's I, what I'm saying. Right. I mean, it's kind of like if he has a probation officer. Because I didn't think you could get one unless you I, had actually done something. I didn't either. But, I, I mean, obviously this is something they do there, which right. I think is an excellent thing. Well, yeah, but, I mean, it's like, is he a ward of the state? I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know, what happens if he gets out of line? I, I don't know. Because, you know, there's some parents out there that do take care of their kids, but their kids are just shitheads. And no matter what the kid, the parents do, the kids are still going to get out there and fuck up. That's true. And eventually the parents are like, look, I'm trying everything, but this kid is a, a shithead. So obviously they do, do need to be accountable for what they're doing. Or they just go on scared straight. Or that too. <laughs> so, shitheads. <laughs> well, some kids are shitheads. Well, yeah, they are. So as he's getting older... And his, his medicine is becoming regulated. He was starting to be described by his neighbors as a good kid. And he was always polite and respectful. So, obviously, they found the right combination of his medicine. He did chores in the neighborhood for money. He would shovel snow, cut grass, and weed flower beds. And he was actually intelligent. 
He rarely got in trouble, and he even joined the bowling team at his high school one year. Friggin' bowling. That dang bowling. So, I gotta tell the story. (laughs) Yes, my wife found out just yesterday that I did take a bowling class in college as an elective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, the, my college did offer bowling as an elective, and I took it. And yes, it was easy. It was an easy A. Um, it's because I was taking 12 hours of other classes that are really hard, and I, I was I was forced to take an elective, so I needed something easy. So I took, I took bowling. And the reason why I find it so funny is I'm not laughing at anybody that actually does bowl. I mean, yeah. you do you. If that's what you enjoy, sure. enjoy doing, do it. Yeah. But if you actually knew my husband and knew his personality, seeing him <laughs> bowling would be like the last thing you would think he would be doing. I, I had to pick something easy. <laughs> I had to pick something easy to, you know, to offset. I had 12 hours of other horror classes. Uh I mean, I could not take an elective that was going to be, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I I was trying. A couple of semesters later, yes, I took self-defense. Did I need to learn self-defense? No, No, I didn't. Because he's a heathen. But. I took it. It was an easy A. I said he took it just so he could look at the women in there. And he probably did. There was a lot of women. Uh-huh. There was a lot of women in Y'all, he, one, he also used to be a man whore. I was there was I was running out of class. Look, you got me over here <laughs> defending myself. <laughs> Y'all, listen to this. Okay. And then we're going to get back on the story. Yeah, because... You know, I just called him a man whore, which he was back in the day. Back in the day. So, a couple of weekends ago, when his friends from high school came over, they would be talking, and they would start talking about a girl that they dated in high school, and then they would be like, oh, yeah, I dated her. Didn't you date her? And another one would be like, yeah, I dated her. And then somebody else would be like, oh, I dated her too. And I was like, damn, what the hell? Did y'all just pass these girls around? Well, after the first one, we knew that they were safe. Uh, <laughs> I guess that's a good, I guess that's one way to look at it. I mean, we had a circle. We had a circle and we stayed within our circle, you know. the, the There's only a few of the girls mm-hmm. that we, a few of us dated, we're still friends with. Yeah, one of them was there that night, a girl that y'all grew up with. Yeah, that's right. No, I didn't date her because she she wouldn't have anything of me. Uh, Yeah. Because she knew you was a heathen. (laughs) She knew you. No, I I mean, I didn't date her, but. So what happened to bro code? Because I've always heard, you know, bro code, you don't Mm -hmm. date your buddy's Mm ex-girlfriend and all that. Yeah. So did y'all ignore that part of bro code but upheld all the other parts? No. If bro says it's okay. Oh, so y'all did ask first. We talked about that. Oh, okay. You know. Um, Yeah, we talked about it. I mean, you know, and things. But it's not like we passed these girls around. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like we were, you know, man whores. (laughs) <laughs> and and stuff i mean look we were not good looking guys so any girl that showed us any attention then i think that we were all pretty much on the same level playing field as uh-huh. far as looks go 
And so, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't like we were, <laughs> you know. And and I feel sorry for some of the girls because they didn't deserve some of the shit that they had to go through. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Um, but, like I said, we're friends with most of the girls. We're yeah. still friends with them. Mm-hmm. And so it's good to be able to have those kinds of relationships that you can still remain friends with, mm-hmm. with them afterwards. So, I mean, you call it what you want. It was mainly just a, like a friendship. I really was playing with you about the man whore deal. Yeah. And that was more directed when you were in college. Oh, I was not that when I was in college. I was. You was married. Yeah, I was married and, uh-huh. and I was strictly business and um, made the dean's list. I mean, I worked my ass off in college, you know, so no, I, I was not that. I can't even remember what the hell we were talking about. I don't either. We just... Oh, I had mentioned that Billy played bowling one year. Bowling, yeah. yeah. I, and then uh, we got off on that. And then I, I took the self-defense and, and stuff, and you said it was because of women. It wasn't because <laughs> of women. I was literally running out of easy electives to take. The, the semester that I took um, self-defense in, I literally had four math classes that semester. You know, one of them was statics. Statics is the strength of materials, and it is not an easy class. Logarithms are not easy. And so that, along with trigonometry, along with, you know, a couple of other really hard, I think one of them was statistics, which actually was not really that hard, but it was still another math class. And so, and then chemistry. I was taking chemistry at the same time. I had to have a an easy elective to take and mm-hmm. you know self-defense was easy so <laughs> you could say it was about <laughs> the women you could say well why the hell are you taking easy electives because i needed the easy a uh-huh. and it was important to me because my daughter saw that i made the dean's list i, I made the president's list i made you know i graduated with cords around my neck you know it was important to me and so, if I had to take three hours of a, of a shit class, then I did. That's what I did. But I was taking 12 hours of fucking hard classes. So, anyway, back to the story. I didn't know that me laughing at you doing bowling was going to turn into a 10-minute tangent. Way off on right? a tangent. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that, people. On May the 10th of 2002, Billy sent Nicole a random instant message introducing himself because they was in a chat room. Okay. And he was like, sup, girl? And she was like, hey. She said it like that. No, I'm just kidding. That, that ain't even how it went. So, <laughs> we, need to, we need to have, like, scripts and be like, sup, girl? <laughs> It's all good. What's what's good? Oh shit! I just went blank. You should say me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the kids say these days. I don't. Well, hell, this was back in two thousand and two, so it's still back in the day for us. I mean, you know, it's like what's good. Oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. How your mama them? No. Yeah, not for that. Now, see, that you sound like a mom. <laughs> hey, mama, Neil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he introduced himself, and what he actually messaged was, 
can you help me get out some information on an ex-girlfriend? <laughs> Red flag. Right. And Nicole thought about it for a minute and she was like, mm, okay, sure. So over the next few days, they chatted for hours at a time doing their instant messages. Mm-hmm. And their conversations shifted quickly from Billy's ex-girlfriend, whose reputation that he was determined he was going to destroy, to Billy and Nicole. Mm-hmm. And Nicole finally gave Billy her phone number. And then they would talk for hours every day over the telephone. On May 14th, just four days since he first introduced himself online, he tells Nicole, I love you, Nicole. I love you, too. Billy. <laughs> you kind of sound like... Uh, Billy, 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 Billy. What movie is that in? Caddyshack. Okay, maybe that. Yep. And she was actually stunned, and she's like, uh, I gotta go. So, the next day, he writes her a letter. And in the letter, he said he was disappointed after he got off the phone with her because he's like, I'm sorry if I scared or annoyed you or et cetera when I told you I love you. And he just said, he said that he was glad that he finally met someone as nice as you are. Talking about Nicole. Okay. He said once he got his license, which would be by the end of that year, they could see each other as often as they wanted because, you know, they live like, I think it was two hours apart. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nicole was elated because now she's thinking her dream boy had fallen into her lap via cyberspace. Oh, shit. So during their some of their first conversations, Nicole talked about her weight. She so they told, haven't seen each other pictures no, or anything. Okay. No. All right. So she told Billy that she saw herself as fat. So in his letter that he's still writing, he told her not to worry about it because the girl I lost it, meaning his virginity too, last summer was five foot four and one hundred and sixty pounds. What's wrong with that? Nothing, but that's not what I want to read. You telling me about how you lost your virginity last summer. Well, I mean, I don't care for sure, right? Yeah, but I mean, it's like that's not big. No, and, and yeah, no, it's not. But it's just like, why would you put that in a letter that the girl you lost it to? I, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm older and I'm just like that's stupid. So is she supposed to be like, well, I'm smaller than that, so I'm special? Hell, I that's don't know. bullshit. I don't know. I'm trying to see it from their point of view, and I guess because I'm older, I can't. And him, and I'm just thinking that's fucking stupid. It is Sh- stupid, shithead. Yeah. Anyways, he's a douchebag. He is for saying that shit. She's a shithead too. You'll find out in part two. Her mom mm-hmm. was so good to her. Mm-hmm. She apparently loved her mom. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're going to get to what went wrong, mm-hmm. if anything. Mm-hmm. So he told Nicole that he thought overweight girls were cute. Come on, dude. Just Anyways, the next night, they actually talked on the phone. And for the second time, Billy told Nicole that he loved her. This time, she reciprocated and said, I love you too, Billy Sullivan. So we're at five days. I, I've got so many problems with this. Uh-huh. I can see the issues in this. That was forced. I mean, obviously, you know, he's looking for somebody to attach to. She's like, well, I mean, I guess, you know. Okay. 
Yeah. You might change your opinion. And that's the end of part one. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Because part two, we're going to go through their relationship. That's it, not even an ending. Wait, wait. No, 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 no. You can't end it like that. I'm, I'm ending it right there. Because no. part two, we're going to pick up with their actual relationship and what their motive was behind killing nicole's mother oh yeah we're gonna get into that for sure Mm -hmm. but you can't just end it on an awkward i love you too Mm -hmm. you can't do that she said i love you too billy sullivan and that was the beginning of the end there how's that (laughs) (laughs) okay all right well i guess i'll let you have that one okay so it was well, beginning of the end. She was fixing to morph into full shithead mode, and I don't, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was supposed to be booing. That was not booing. Was not, I did not know what that was. That, that literally is what the button says: is booing. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't hear no booing. Okay, that's supposed to be awkward. That was a bird. That was a slap. Mm. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So you end, you ended part one on an awkward I love you uh, <laughs> from some... T- now, how old is she? She's 15. She, oh, so this is when she's 15. So Well, no. Um, let's see. 2002. So, no, she's 14 because she was 15 when Jean was murdered. Okay. So, yeah, that's in what I In 2003. Yeah. So she's 14. She's 14. And I love you too. Mm-hmm. Oh, to be 14 again. I remember those days. I don't know that I want to be 14 again. I think I'd like to be 18 or 21. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was uh, I was 20. I think I was 20 when they changed the law in Louisiana to from 18 to 21 to drink. <laughs> right. I mean, I was literally not that far away from my birthday, uh, my 21st birthday when they changed the law. But anyway, to be 21 again. But mm-hmm. 14, I remember I remember being 14 and having those conversations and things with uh with different with girls. Mm-hmm. And and uh do you remember now here <laughs> walk down memory lane all right he, and you may not they may have stopped doing it by the time you turned around that age but the local radio station would allow people to call in and be like uh, i want to dedicate this song. I want to de- <laughs> <laughs> shout out yes yeah, i want to yep. dedicate dedicate this song to my girl to my boo thing i remember i'm not gonna say their names but um and then every now and then somebody would call in and uh, i have to say guilty um but somebody would call in and say if there's any single girls out there hit up the dj because he got my number and i would get so many phone calls from Uh some freaks and uh, I think only one materialized, but one or two materialized from that. But it was so stupid. I remember one time that this is when I was older, like probably 21. Um, 
my parents were over at my house and we were listening to our local rock radio station. We have 98 Rocks and 99X. Mm-hmm. And we were listening to 98 Rocks. And my dad was like, hey, will you call them for me and request a song? And I was like, sure. So I called in and the DJ answers and I'm requesting a song. And I hear my voice on here and I'm like, yeah, I sound like a country bumpkin. <laughs> but when I was talking to him, he was like, say, girl, are you single? And I was like, uh, no. Oh, well, that's too bad because I'd like to talk to you a little bit more. And I was like, ah. The DJ said that? The DJ said that. Damn, you, you, you like got hit up on by the DJ? I did. Wow. Well, I mean, listen to your voice, baby. I mean, you sound, you sound pretty hot. You are hot, though. (laughs) You are hot. (laughs) I gotta say, my wife is, she's a hottie. That's his opinion. <laughs> you are a hottie. Oh, well, thank so, you. So are you. Well, uh, okay, we're not going to continue to bore you guys with our right. Our we lustful have just comments. went all over know, the world tonight. I know. I'm sorry about that. We're sorry about that. But look, that's our life. That is our life. Yeah. Welcome to our life. Our, you know. We love each other. We do. For sure. Uh-huh. And we're going to share stories with each other mm-hmm. from time to time. So, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we promise we'll get back on track and not get derailed as much. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I don't know what happened this episode, but. We did. We got derailed. We a lot. did. So, stay tuned for the next episode, part two of this. I'm working on my next one. Mm-hmm. And um, it's going to be. It's going to be pretty bad. Is it? Yeah, it's going to be pretty bad. Yep. I done found my next one, too, and I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I've got to get away from, from ones like this. Oh. Okay. I, I can't. It pisses me off. Oh. It, it yeah. triggers me, if you will, mm-hmm. and um, I don't like it. Yeah. So, anyway, stay tuned for that. Mm-hmm. Remember that we do have an email account. Uh, we do. You need to reach out to us, uh, criminal uh, C Disturbed Podcast at gmail dot com, and hit us up on our Instagram. Like us on our Facebook. That's uh, criminally disturbed and criminally disturbed podcast. So check us out. Drop us a line. We'd like to hear from you. We'd like to hear how we're doing. Mm-hmm. Remember to rate us on the different social medias, or remember to rate us on the different platforms that mm-hmm. you're listening to us on. So until the next episode, I'm Paul. And I'm Jamie. And please join us next time. And remember to stay disturbed. Bye. Bye.